Hey guys, it's Edge Martinez. They call me the voice of New York. And 50 years ago, hip hop started right here in New York City. And we're celebrating the five boroughs all year long. Check out nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop for cultural stories, events, interviews, and more. nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop. How's it going, everyone? This is the Go Long Podcast, and uh, thrilled to have Taylor Humphrey on the show for this episode. Um, we almost connected in person uh, down there in Florida a few weeks back. weren't able to, so I'm so pumped that we can do this now uh, on what's you know a life changing week for you, right? Uh, D tackle, I should say, D tackle, Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Um, Probably takes out about eight, nine blockers at a time from what I can gather. Uh, how's life, Taylor? And life is good, you know, just spending time with the family, building up to this big moment and the next step in life. You know, I've been dreaming about this my whole life, so it's just kind of crazy that it's all happening. Gosh, it's got to be a relief, too, with everything you've had to from – college football season to East West shrine game to pre combine training to combine to everything is just a blur. I would imagine. Oh, yes, sir. Just like now that I think back, like all my college days starting from being in Juco in Kansas all the way to Louisiana, it's just feel like it just happened in the snap of a finger. So tell us a little about yourself. You know, there's, there's not a lot out there on you. We know you're a, uh, you're a big man. Maybe the biggest man in this draft. I don't know. What what, what, what kind of size are we talking here? What kind of mass? 6'4", 328. Not a lot of uh, humans like that on the planet. Oh, no, sir. And I'm very, <laughs> no, I'm very nimble with it, too. That's big. I mean, it's hard to find big guys uh, who, who can move. But where, where are you from? Texas, right? Yes, sir. Houston, Texas. And basically, just me growing up, it was just me and my mom the whole time, you know, grinding. She was always at work, grinding, single mother. Then coming into high school, you know, she had to work even harder because now it was me and my three other siblings. So I had to step up in high school, you know, playing football. Then I had to come home after practice and take care of my siblings, make sure they had every all their work done, dinners fixed, everything. Then when I got to college, and that's when my football career really started taking off. Because in high school, me and the coach didn't really get along that much. And he I barely played in high school. And it was just, it was horrible. And when I got to junior college, I just, I got the chance and I, I took it, took advantage of it. So you barely played in high school. Oh, uh, yes, sir. I barely, let's see, my junior year, I had a, it was a sophomore starting over me. Then my senior year, it was a, a junior starting over me. So it was just kind of like trying to, I guess they were just trying to like make me give up or something. I don't know, but it didn't work. Why do you think, uh, like, what do you have it out for you? Well, why did you guys butt heads? Honestly, I have, I have no idea. I guess it was just coming some of my, immaturity back then probably but I just feel like I just feel like I could have done I could have reached way better potential when I was in high school yeah I mean so I mean you're young just kind of figuring stuff out too so some of that mixed in I I imagine you were probably a pretty big guy though in high school they could have used you up front Mm -hmm. oh I think I Mm -hmm. lost you I got you back. Oh, in the house. All right. Yeah, this is yeah, Wi-Fi. Not we... the best. All right. I think that, yeah, that's good. That's a good spot right there. Um, Sorry. But, you know, actually, take take it back a little further, Taylor. Like, when you're growing up, 
in Houston, I mean, how, how does that even work? How does a single mother take care of four, right? You said yourself and three siblings. Um, We've got two little ones right now and, you know, we've got all hands on deck and it's, it's a lot. I can't imagine what, what your mom must have went through at that time. She was, I used to like, I used to wake up early. Like, so I was always, when I was going to school, I was always like an early riser, like no two, three hours before the bus came so I could take my time to get ready. And she would be gone. My bus would get there at 6.30. I'm waking up at like 5, 4.30 in the morning and she's already gone. And she used to tell me, she told me that when I was in high school, she used to be, she was, she was she a CNA and a hospice nurse. And she used to be at her first stop at 4.30 in the morning because she used to go to house to house. Her day would start at 4.30 and she wouldn't get back home till like 8.30, 9 o'clock. Holy cow. Just nonstop. Literally that yeah, long, now, the entire day. Yes, sir. And that was Monday through Friday. How do you how do you take care of kids when you I mean, how did you guys even function day to day? It really when, just took just like me and I just like I just helped her and stepped up and just like took care of help help cook dinner and clean the house and when she get home all the things she had to worry about was eating her eating her dinner and going to bed focused on the next day. What did that really do to you? How did that make you that experience you think? It just really showed me that I really have to do something different to help her out. And so she doesn't have to work like this no more. And that's when I started. That's when I said, like, when I, I got to get to college and start this, start this hype train to do something to get this thing started. Cause I got to make it somehow, some way, somehow. Are you really thinking NFL when you can't even play for your high school team? I always had dreams, but. In high school, I wasn't I wasn't really thinking NFL. I was just kind of thinking, you know, I gotta I gotta get to school. I gotta do something. But as soon after my first season at HUD, I realized my potential. Definitely so want to hear about then, that. I realized my potential and so when I first when I graduated high school. I moved in with a coach that was there, Thaddeus Brown. He's a, I think he's an agent now. And um, I moved in with him like four days after I graduated high school. I think I was like at least like 385 coming out of high school. I was just like came out that season, got big that last semester. Then when I got to Hutch, went there, I got to like 360. Before fall camp that summer, lost like 20 pounds that summer. Then came into fall camp, played that season at like 345, 340, and just went like all American. I had the I had all every school in the SEC, the Big 12. But coming out, the big thing my mom wanted, she wanted my brother to come to college with me. And he it was his my second year in Hutch. That was his senior year of high school. She's like, I want y'all to play together. I want y'all to experience college together. So that's when we went to FIU. And then when we got to uh, Florida International, you know, the coaches and everything, I just didn't like it. It didn't mix well. So I was just, I responded immaturely. I wasn't showing up late to meetings, you know, not, not caring, being nonchalant with everything. So eventually... We got, we had to leave the program. And then I ended up at Louisiana where things ended up working out perfectly. Wow. I forgot about that FYU uh, in, in between. So, but when you're at, at, at Hutchinson, is that in, is that the school in Kansas? Yes, sir. The Blue Dragons. A lot of guys come through. I want to say Devondre Campbell, the Packers linebacker was out there. Uh, yes, sir. Devondre Campbell, Alvin Kamara, uh, uh, Everett, the tight end for, I think he played for the Patriots now. Um, uh, Cordell Patterson. Uh, there's, there's a lot of dudes out there that came out of Hutch. That's in uh, the NFL now. I mean, you're talking about an ultra competitive environment where, I mean, everybody kind of knows it's a last chance resort 
you know, if you've got these pro dreams, I mean, this is a good place to do it. You're, you're in the middle of nowhere, right? I mean, what, what's even out there? What's life like in the middle of nowhere, Kansas? Hutch is one of the, like, the, it's like a big, small town. So, like, there's nothing to do, but they had, like, good restaurants and, like, good everything. Like, it wasn't just, like, a ghost town. But it was definitely a struggle. You know, out there, it was all you had was each other. And then, like, when we got on that football field, the competition was high because, you know, everybody trying to get playing time. Everybody want it get to that point to where everybody's like, man, I got to get an offer. I got to get an offer. So when it gets to that point, they get to dog eat dog. And that's when, like, practice gets serious. I never forget, man, it was a spring ball. We had, like, at least 50 scouts on the sideline just lined up. Like, it was like a pro day. And I, I'll never forget that practice. It was intense. Everybody was like, it was like game day. I imagine it almost turns a little cannibalistic. You know, like you guys are teammates, but you probably want to rip each other's heads off because there's so much at stake in that kind of setting. Everybody's watching. Oh, yes, there is. There's really a lot at stake, and it really exposes like a lot of dudes' attitudes because you really got – really expose you if you're a prima donna, whether you're going to go complain to the coach about, hey, coach, can I, can I get this pass? Can I do this? Can I do something in front of these scouts? You know, but the thing about junior, junior colleges is, like, either either you're good or you're not good, and sometimes the, you just got to let the ball fall where it does. How did you get confidence at that point? You know, after not really playing in high school, you know, but you, you got the opportunity. They, they saw something in you. Maybe they just saw you. They're like, yeah, we, we want him in the middle of our defense. But at what point did you realize, okay, you know, there's there's something here. Like, I, I've got a future in football. It's, uh, really, it was that fall camp because, oh, i never forget. It was the offensive lineman. His name was Seth. I forgot his last name. But, man, that dude was tough. And I was just like, my first, the first couple weeks, first, like, the first week he was killing me with my ass and that it came out that that second week and I just like went crazy started making plays and it was just like inevitable for him then they have to start me and you played a lot I mean obviously enough to, to start get, to get all these offers I mean and you started right, yeah, SEC schools I wanted you the first season I had uh I was uh I was first team all conference all American and I was like, I think I was one of the top five recruits in JUCO after after that season. Sixty-two tackles, twelve and a half for loss, two point five sacks, for somebody who's taken on double teams all the time, probably right. Oh yes, sir. Man, so but and FIU didn't really go well then. I mean, did did you did you get kicked out or did you just decide to leave? No, I got kicked out because of the decisions I was making, you know, being immature and everything. They Honestly, I would have kicked myself out too. Now looking back at it, I would have, I would have handled it differently. Good for you. I mean, I don't know if a lot of guys can kind of look themselves in the mirror in that way. Like what, what, what really needed to change at that point? So you're talking 2018, that would have been? Yes, sir. Yeah, what, what, what uh, happened? I just felt like I just needed, like, I just, like, needed to mature. And I feel like that's what happened when I got to Louisiana. I had to – so a lot of people don't know, my first year at Louisiana, I walked on and I had to pay my way. So doing that, that just really, like, humbled me and, like, made me, like, grind hard, like, grind hard in the classroom and on the field. I'm pretty sure you guys – uh. Robert Hunt, big dot on that play for Steelers, like on scout team, I was I was killing them that year, going crazy, get scout team player of the week at then there every week. So it was just a good experience and I feel like I needed that, pave my own way and really start at the bottom of the totem pole and work my way up to the leader I was my last year. And I felt like that did a lot for me and maturing and being a leader. It, it that had to have been humbling because you go from, I mean, you had offers from the SEC schools, right? Like, is is Florida, Alabama, Georgia, are we talking all the big guns? I mean, they wanted you at one point out of JUCO. Yes, sir. To, to walking on at, for the Raging Cajuns. I mean, that, that that that's a shot to the system. And you, and you didn't even really, 
I don't think he played in 2019, right? You, you just kind of registered. Oh, no, so that, that was my uh, registered year. Gosh, so when you're paying your way, what's what's that life really like when you're you're a walk on at a small school, kind of forgotten, kind of dismissed? Um, what like what what does it even look like? Are you having to like cook your own meals and work side uh, jobs and that kind of stuff? I didn't have to work side jobs, but I I took out I had to take out a hefty student loan. But everything it was just kind of like I had to. I had to grind hard because I felt like in my head, I said, if I don't, I said, because Coach Nate told me himself, he said, I'm not just going to give you the scholarship at the end of when you're eligible. He said that you're going to have to earn it. So in my head, I was like, man, I got to do, I got to do everything in my mind to convince this man to give me a scholarship and make me a leader on his team. What did you really change uh, in your lifestyle? Like, what was your what was your lifestyle like, maybe at FIU, and then what was it like when you're walking on, you know, with the raging Cajuns? No, so when I was at FIU, I was partying a lot, drinking a lot, and just going out every night, not focused on school, not focused on football. Because really, when I was at FIU, they had people like they had people doing our work and everything, so it was just kind of you know, just do what you want kind of thing. But when I got to Louisiana, I realized, like, that wasn't it. That's not going to get me to where I want to go. Like, and Coach Nate and him being around Alabama Clemson, all them, the Arizona State and all the big schools he'd been at, and I felt like him knowing, like, he gave me a good recipe and, put me in a good structure to where I matured and I realized, you know, I can't go out every night. I got to wake up early, come get extra work and come watch extra film, come do your due diligence, do the extra stuff and it'll pay off. Man, isn't that the truth? I think we all go through that when you get to a college, especially uh, a bigger school and you've got that freedom and, you know, it's a Tuesday, Wednesday night. Nobody's telling you not to go out and party. Like, you know, you can just oh, go, yeah. you know, get, get a few beers with your, with your buddies. I mean, we, we just had a story up on, uh, on Derek Carr. I mean, quarterback for the Raiders where, I mean, he's living that way for a while. People didn't really know at Fresno state. And, you know, he had a wake up call, turned his life around, turned everything around. Um, the other end of the spectrum, you have a Johnny Manziel. He just kind of keeps living that way and, you know, waste right. what could have been an unbelievable career but I, I don't like I, we, we even beyond football like we've all been there right where it's like okay I've got this freedom I got to figure out how to have a little self-control in this situation so that's what it's all about and really in this draft process I really learned about self-control because that I had to change my diet and everything and the way I eat portion control so self-control has been a really big thing for me lately do you say FIU like they had people who just did your did your work for you too? Oh uh, yeah, whenever we like go to went to like the academic center, like we would, I like come there and I'd be like they like the tutors. I don't know how they did. I don't know what they told the tutors or whatever. But all you had to tell the tutor was like, "Can you help me on this a little bit?" And like they'll tell them like you stuck, and they'll just you know type it up for you. <laughs> That's that sounds like a that sounds like a violation. That that doesn't sound yeah, right. I never never there was one dude I for, I forgot his name. It was like a chemistry teacher and uh, a chemistry. Uh, I was in this chemistry class and this tutor, and he every time we had a test, we they put us in an empty room in the back, and then he did all my tests and everything. And I would think I passed that class with an A. Oh, you got an A in chemistry. There you go. We should have, you missed your calling, Taylor. You should have been a chemist. (laughs) You know, I laugh, but I imagine this is the case. That's probably the case at a lot of schools, right? But it's, it's insane. Like, I mean, to, to be a tutor, to be like somebody is, somebody from high above is like filtering that message down. I would think like, just get them by, like get them through, like just, who cares? True, but but that um, 
that's what really like surprised me when I got to UL because when it wasn't when I got to UL it wasn't none of that because I remember I never forget mm-hmm. the first time I went to tutoring I was sitting there and I was like could you help me could you help me with this discussion it was like I could give you ideas on what to write but I'm not going to write it for you you're not going to get me fired and I was like oh this real deal here so I really had to buckle down and do my own work yeah I mean that it probably is for the best right I mean to uh let people kind of do their own work to an extent uh and it probably helped you as a person right the fact that you actually had to do your work and do your classes how did that help you when you got to Louisiana it helped me a lot because I realized like how important like getting that degree is because that was like coach Nate big emphasis like you're going to come here and be good at football, but you're going to get a degree too. And I, I never forget. He told me he was going, he was going to help me graduate. And I definitely, I graduated. That'd be a good feeling, you know, for you and your upbringing and for mom. I mean, when you, when you, you you get that diploma, you had that gown on and all that. What what was that like? Oh, it was a wonderful feeling because growing up, my mom was like, I always told my mom, I said, Cause when I was little, I hated, I hated. She was always like, "You don't have to learn how to drive." And I'm like, "I'm, I'm, I hate, I hate driving." And I said, "I'm not going. I'm gonna need a driver because I'm gonna go to the NFL and I'm gonna have a driver myself." And she said, "Well, you're gonna have to have a plan B. Whenever you get to college, you're gonna have to get that degree." So as soon as I graduated, I said, "Here's your plan B. I got my degree. Now, how can I please go now? That next thing, I just focused on straight football." What was your uh, major? What was your degree in? Oh, uh, general studies and science. Nice. Any anything particularly uh, interest you down those lines? If you know, way way down the line after a uh, fifteen year NFL career. Uh, I just want to be. I just want to be a good quality coach. You know, help kids and show them like it's a way out of the tough communities. It's it's a way out. It's always a way out. Whether whether it be the hard way or the easy way, well, not really the easy way. The easy way is bad, but the hard going the hard way is not bad. You know, everything everything happens for a reason, and don't be afraid to take chances. Because I took that chance going from Kansas, coming from Texas, going all the way to Kansas. So that was a big leap for me because I wanted originally. I was going to go to uh, Kilgore or Tyler Junior College, but I took that risk and took that chance on leaving the state and going to going to Kansas and being the number one. Ended up being the number one playing junior college. Yeah, it's it's such a good lesson. It kind of it pays to step outside of your comfort zone. That's kind of what you're getting at, right? I mean, to just. Just challenge yourself, you know, go go somewhere that that's you what it's all about. Because you, 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 that's that's what uh, I get it from. This just you can never, you can never be, you can never reach your potential in your comfort zone. That's what I always, that's what I was always told. Like, get uncomfortable, and you never know what could happen in that uncomfortable becomes your new comfortable and you just keep on pushing and pushing and then you surprised about what what you do now but you've been putting in all this work so it really just pays off you're right I mean we're all creatures of habit if you, if you do something again and again and again in that comfort zone that's kind of it like right you almost have to consciously just take yourself to a different realm um and I want to get to your playing days at uh at Louisiana, but real quick before I, f- I forget, you know, your, your hometown, what, what was that really like then? You, you kind of mentioned, you know, you want to pass it on and, and help people that are maybe from some rougher backgrounds. What was it somewhat rough? And I didn't even ask you what was your dad in the picture. Did, did you have your dad at any point? Oh, no, sir. I never, he was never really in the picture. I, he got out of jail when I was around 12, 13 years old. And when I went to visit them, things didn't really work out. So, like, I started doing – I started heading down the wrong, started failing my classes in high school when I started to visit them and everything. So, things didn't go as well. 
when I started. So I just cut ties with him and yeah, everything worked out. That could not have been an easy decision. I mean, your dad uh, gets out of prison. You're what? At 12, 13. That's an impressionable age. You, you probably were dying to have a relationship. True, but, you know, I couldn't be mad at him making the decision he wanted to and him choosing the life that he chose because I can't control nobody. Was 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 he in there for a while? I mean, how, how long was he? Uh, honestly, I have no idea. I just remember him never seeing him ever. Then out of the blue, my mom was like, come on, we're going to see your dad. And I was like, because growing up, you know, I thought my stepdad was my real dad. But it turns out, like, I was calling him dad, you know, daddy, all that stuff. But when the kind of one day, I forgot some, like, mess up stuff happened. And my mom was like, you know what, I might as well take you to see your real dad. And I was like, I was kind of confused. Then I was just surprised. And he was just... When he came, when he was in the picture for a little bit, it was good, but then it turned really bad. It, so it got bad, and you just realized best to... Uh, yes, I mean, just cut ties. Damn. Not not easy, I would think, to not have, you know, a stable... That, that stability, you know, in the in the picture, but... Yeah, at some point you kind of grew up and become a man yourself. I mean, maybe what you went through there at FIU on on to Louisiana is kind of that was kind of your awakening. That's kind of when things clicked and you you became your own man. Oh yes, sir. That's when I really when I got to Louisiana is really when I became my own man. After I feel like I really hit that maturity after my redshirt year when I realized like. Like I really, I really could do this, and I really, like, I really got a whole coaching staff that believes in me, and really just had to really like the way it worked over there. It was kind of like a it was kind of like where is like a accountability thing. Where, like, if you don't do it, it's on you. And everybody, like, we all held each other accountable. So I had my teammates, you know, they tell them we need you to drop this weight. You know, they was on me. The coaches was on me. Like, you need to drop this weight. You need to do this, you know, do better in the playbook. And I didn't I didn't want – I never wanted to let them down because I never wanted to feel that feeling of letting them down. So I always try to strive to make them feel confident in me that I'm going to be able to do what I have to do on and off the field how high did your weight get and then what did you get it down to so the highest I ever been when I was at FIU I was like I got to like 398 almost 400 and when I got to Louisiana I could drop down my redshirt year I dropped down all the way to 360 then after that redshirt year I dropped all the way down to 340 for the last two seasons and right now I'm sitting at 328, so it's going pretty good. <laughs> Holy cow! I mean, it's almost 80 pounds from from your highest. Uh, uh, how do you how, how did you carry carry that weight? I mean, that that's a lot to be out on a football field. At that crazy part is I didn't. You could watch like if you look at my pictures of when I was at FIU, you could see like how big I was. I was just like. I just felt like immobile, like I was just like a, just standing there taking on blockers, not getting off, making plays or anything. I was just big. Yeah. So w- when you were, were really kind of turning that corner at Louisiana, what what was your game like? What what should people know about you as a football player uh, in the middle of the defense? Just an established run stopper. I just feel like. I'm one of the best run stoppers in the draft, not really with the top run stopper in the draft in the middle of D tackle because of like the way I do my power and my get off my hands and my feet. Like all year, I felt like I felt like I just dominated in the run and I feel like I showed that in the Shrine Bowl against higher competition. So I just feel like I could do it at that next level. The numbers don't always, you know, do a guy like you justice because I mean you had 
31 tackles, one and a half for loss, three pass breakups, a block kick, a hurry last season. But I would think in the Sun Belt, you're probably uh, at the top of everybody's game plan. Like, you know, you're you're facing two, three guys at a time. Oh, yes. Sir. I feel like after – after my first two games, so coming coming out of the, coming before the season, I had to get a a PRP shot in my right foot, and coming off of that, I was out for like two weeks, and I got really bad. Like oh, I was over, I got overweight, and kind of had to play that Texas game a little hurt. So I was just feeling sorry for myself. I was in a bad mental space. So I was overweight for the first two games, bad mental everything. And that after that Nichols game, I just some I don't know what happened, but it just kicked in to where I just I lost I lost got back down to my playing weight and started really dominating. Then all of a sudden we started holding teams to under a hundred yards rushing, and and we took off. Yeah, well, your your run defense. I mean, Louise, I feel we had uh, Isaiah Likely on. Um our happy hour go along last night in coastal Carolina, Louisiana. That's a nice a little, little, little mini rivalry there. It, it seems it um, was, but the, it the level of football is pretty good. I mean, for people who don't know, I mean, this is, there, there's a ton of talent in, in these games. That's what people don't understand about like the group of five and the Sun Belt. Like, even though we might be the Sun Belt, like we got talent, we got, we got air, we got competition. We got everything. Like it's not just a little. It's not a cakewalk. Not a cakewalk. And then I mean, you guys gave Texas everything they could handle in the opener, and then you won thirteen games in a row. So I mean, you guys just obliterated teams week in and week out. Yes, yeah, so I feel like I feel like after that Texas game. We had we really came together and said like we never that's never gonna happen like we never wanted to feel like that ever again, so we just we just buckled down and went head on. Everybody was doing their job. Everybody like all the big guys like including me coming in getting extra cardio before practice. All the people who needed treatment in there three, two three times a day getting treatment. So, really, just like the accountability of that team is really what brought us as far as we did. And I'm just, we had a good defensive coordinator, too, and Coach Tony, and he came up with, even though we had a complex book, playbook, it, it was wonderful to play in. How complex was it? What made it different? It's just the the mix between three four and three and four three the hybrid defense to where you never know we could be in the overload we could be in even we could be in regular over you never know depending on the week. I mean Malik Willis might go he could go as high as six overall to Carolina. Uh, he he's, he could go pretty dang high. You guys pounded Liberty. 42-14. Uh, Malik Willis had 14 completions, 20 incompletions, two picks. But th- this is the number that, that really pops to me. I mean, I'm sure you remember this night well. Like 20 carries, 28 yards. I mean, he, I imagine you, you sacked him a ton too there with those college statistics. But he had, he had a 23-yard run. Other than that, so you're talking – Night, uh, 19 attempts, 19 times he went to run the ball. He had five yards. I mean, you guys were just living but in that backfield. How, how did you do it? His the, the O-line wasn't really that good. But I felt like if he would have had an offensive line, it would have been a – he would have had a he would have had a better chance against us. But our front was just so much better than their front at the time. It was just really unfair to him, I feel like. Really? Because I remember my teammate, uh, Chauncey Manak, number 17, he had like five or six sacks against him just eating that tackle up. Not He couldn't. He didn't even have a chance to throw the ball downfield most of the time. That, that, that's interesting. I mean, so you're almost, are you almost maybe even a little impressed then that he could do anything with that line? I never, I never forget, man. We were all, it was like, I think I'm pretty sure the whole, 
D-line was in the backfield. This man was rolling out, gets hit in the hips and throws like a 60-yard bomb for a touchdown. I was like, he couldn't even follow through his hips. I said, shit, I see why he first round, like, you know what I'm saying? I see, like, if you, I feel like if they put an O-line in front of him, he's going to do amazing things. Just like he, at the Senior Bowl, when they when they put an O-line in front of him, he was going crazy. It's an element to him that I guess it's easy to overlook. You, you can think, okay, what's the competition? You know, is he really processing things out there? as a quarterback from the pocket, but the talent around him isn't that great either. Right. I mean, he can't control who he's playing, Dude, but he hasn't got much like, around him either. That's how I like feel like football is like a team sport. Cause I'm pretty sure if he would have been on, you know, Auburn or like one of the power five schools with a, with a big offensive line, he would have probably been, he'd probably be higher than Kenny Pickett or somebody. How how did you find yourself then? When did you realize, okay, I, I, I'm doing something here that maybe a lot of guys aren't doing because, you know, with the way defenses, offenses have evolved, everything's more spread out. There there aren't a lot of big dudes just eating up blockers today. It's really, really that, that first game against Iowa State coming out, having played a game in over a year, a year, over two. Over two years, I haven't played a game. So it was just like I went out there and doing what I did against Iowa State and us winning. I just, that's when the switch clicked to where I could, like, I knew I could really do this. And you got, I mean, that, you're, you're in the 320s. How did you lose all that weight to get to this point? What, what did you do to your diet? What kind of training are you doing? How did well, you get yourself into shape like this? And, and, why, and why did you do it? I imagine it's to, Get off blocks, maybe be a little more explosive, but uh, take us kind of through that whole metamorphosis. The reason I had to lose weight is because, like, you know, the speed of the NFL is way faster. And a coach told me when I was on Zoom, and he was like, it's not about just dominating. It's about you got to be able to stay out there and be conditioned too and be able to play 60, 50 plays a game. And I told myself, like, I got my trainer and my chef, and I was like, we got to get this right. We got to get this weight down. So, chef, she was bringing me – she's bringing me two meals a day, lunch and dinner. I used to – I was staying at a hotel, so I had – I could eat – I could eat – I used to eat sausage and uh, oatmeal for breakfast. And then lunch, she would bring my lunch and dinner and pre-cooked meals, pre-set portions, and – I'd where I'd be working. I'd work out all morning long from nine a.m. to twelve. So I just put in the work, and it take a lot of take a lot of a lot of self discipline because you know everybody trying to lose weight. You know you got that voice in your head. You know, man, it's not going. It's only one. It's only one, and one turning into ten, three turns into four. So you just got to fight that voice in your head and stay disciplined. Oh, I know. Isn't it the truth? I mean, it's, it, it's, it's difficult. I, I don't know how, and somebody who is a bigger guy who probably loved a nice hearty meal, was that, was that tough? Like how, how did you just make that switch and say, All right, I, I guess what were you eating before? And then what's one of those pre-cooked meals they're giving you too? So what I was eating before, you know, I was eating like fast food. I was eating snappers, you know, Burger King, all the bad stuff. I used to like, I like, I still like it, but I just can't, I don't eat it right now. But when I got my nutrition and everything, I started eating, you know, uh, chicken and salad, chicken salads, you know, soup, you know, portion size meals. I learned about portions, sodium, sugars, and everything. So just like learning that, just, took me to a whole nother level was it hard though do you miss you know getting a nice double whopper from burger king and do i my order used to be that uh my order used to be that number that number eight the uh bacon king oh oh my gosh well i guess when the nfl is calling some sacrifices can be made then oh gosh too man because to get 
where I want to go, I know I, I'd have to sacrifice it someday. So I felt like that day, that day, when that day came, I was ready mentally. What's the NFL getting? Uh, what are you telling teams? Man, I'm just, I'm telling teams that I feel like I'm the most dominant run stopper in the draft and that I could come in and be a day one starter and make an immediate impact anywhere I go. Because there's probably not – there's not a lot of, of, of big men who can move. I mean, we, we just had a story up. Uh, Bob McGinney's breaking the draft down for us, and that was his whole point. Like, how, how many just big guys that can move? They're, they're, there's not a lot on the planet. There really aren't. It, ta- it takes a lot because when I was little, I was never one of them, you know, fat kids, stay-in-the-house type kids. I was always the run outside because I grew up in the kind of the country to where we used to chase, we used to chase chickens. We used to ride on pigs. We used to play in the woods. We used to be outside all day because when I was young, I used to spend a lot of summers and weekends with my grandma, grandpa and grandma. And my grandpa was real old school, traditional. He'd wake us up every morning we'd have to get we had to do something whether it be clean the garage wash the house or like cut the grass do something do a chore do our chores and then we he'd lock us outside all day we only time we could come inside he put he used to put toilet paper in the garage so we couldn't come inside we used to have to <laughs> take a really yes we had toilet paper outside and only time we could come inside was for um was to come in at lunchtime and fix a sandwich and we had to be in, the only thing we had to be inside before the street lights came on i mean so no video games you're not holding up playing halo oh no we used to play video games we had a uh me my brother and my two cousins we had a PlayStation 2 and the only the only games we had we had Madden and we had Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Them the only games we had. So we used to only we played them at we only played them at nighttime and in the morning. So we used to always be outside, be active. We used to be in the woods, you know, the, I always think about those days, man. I I do anything to get them back. What was the hardest work that you had to do out there? You listed off a few things. I feel like cutting the grass because my grandpa was so specific with his lines. If the line wasn't straight down and the lines wasn't going in the correct pattern, he didn't, he had to start all over again. Really? Yep. He wanted his yard perfect all the time. And I just, it was just hard work all the time. And he made us earn our playtime. I love it. I remember uh, growing up, me and my brother, we'd have to split our lawn. I had the top, he had the bottom. And my brother, I hope Austin listens to this. I'm going to tell him to listen. He he was meticulous like that too, where he'd finish his job and then he'd go over to my territory and clean up all the corners that I cut. <laughs> just, just I, I think it got to a point where he was just trying to stick it to me, you know, but it was, uh, I, I think he, maybe he was just that meticulous, you know. I don't so, think I cut any corners. I think my it was. Grandpa, my grandpa was very specific. I'll never forget one day it was we had to we after we finished mowing the lawn we was outside playing all day it was finna storm so try to come inside then we all tried to go hop in the shower we was all waiting in line for the shower i think my little brother was in there he said i'm not finna run up my water bill now he said he said it was like storm you know how like it's storming outside to where you can't see like you can't drive that man put us out there with a bar of soap out in the rain. We was out in the rain in our underwear, showering. And he had some, he was sitting right by the door making sure everybody, everybody got clean. And he had towels for us as soon as we came inside. Are you serious? How old were you then? I was like, I think I was like 10, maybe nine, 10 years old. He was, he made a shower outside. I'll never forget that. Oh man! Well, I, I imagine you, you appreciate hard work then, and, and and anything that comes your way when you're literally showering in the rain after working all day for your grandpa. Oh yes, sir. I never take never take anything for granted ever. 
because he really made me like now like thinking back on it he really made me like appreciate how simple life was back then and like how to like enjoy being a kid you know go out there cutting the lawn for your grandparents and doing all this stuff and if they were still here i'd go i'd go do it again for any time god it's such a good point man everything is just simulated in 2022 you know you want food you, you press a button uber eats you need a ride you press a button you need entertainment you got a zillion streaming apps it's just everything is just kind of spoon fed to people of all ages and i'm not being a curmudgeon i mean young and old everything is just kind of hand there's a value to just being outside working your ass off showering in the rain chasing chickens doing everything you did that's what I don't get about kids. Like I walk around, I see kids. I barely, I don't even like, I like, I go jog around the neighborhood. I don't see no kids outside. I'm just like, man, they all face deep in them iPads and technology. So I'm just like, I just want, I want the, like me, I want my kids. I want them to be outside. I want them to play. Cause I know, I remember never forget. I see like four year olds and everybody walking around with self four-year-olds, five-year-olds walking around with cell phones, iPads. I said, I didn't see a cell phone till I was in high school. And that was only a text phone. So I could only, I could only imagine kids nowadays, they got better iPhones than I got. And then disgusting. It's, it's crazy. I mean, you're right. Four-year-olds with cell phones is a thing in the world today. That's what, I, I'll never get that. I'll never get it. Man, you know, we do, we have a two and a half year old and a nine month old. And, you know, after uh, a couple episodes of Bluey, you know, the TV just tends to just break, you know, it's just not working, which <laughs> dad may just unplug it for a while and then it's just time to play. So, you know, when you do have kids, that's a, that's a good little maneuver. Just, just unplug it. Just say TV's not working. So that's what, that's what kids, I feel like kids nowadays, they don't understand what advantage it is to go outside and play and what that does for you when you're older, you know, having those memories. Like I have, have all those memories of like me and my cousins playing outside, going swimming in the Creek, you know, picking berries and everything. So we would always, we would always have fun outside, always come up with something to do. So I'm just glad I have those memories. And I feel like kids nowadays, all the only memories they have is the iPad. That's what it's about. Memories making memories like think you think back you 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 don't think about a video game experience at seven years old against a stranger you, you think about standing in the rain <laughs> for the bar of soap yeah it's yeah, so true time rain, playing doing all type of fun stuff yeah man. love it love your perspective on life Taylor. that that's incredible um hey before we lose you too like you're your visits with teams. I, I think I had seen something reported. Have you done some top 30 visits? What kind of interest uh, are you getting? Yes, sir. So I did a, I did a top 30 visit with the chargers on April 6th. And then I've, I've got on zoom with the Rams and the Raiders. So I feel, I feel pretty good about the West coast, you know, Yeah. Oh, hopefully, but you know, if I go to if I get if I get to go to Vegas, you know that'll be a dream come true because I I love Vegas. Yeah, that's that's not, that's not a bad place to live. Same, same with uh, anything you just listed off there seems seems pretty good. So, anything um, you know any any crazy questions you've gotten along the way, and anything that just kind of made you even at the pro days. Uh, not really. They all kind of asked like the same question, you know, they asked about like Florida, like about me at Florida International and about my upbringing, because a lot of people don't know about my upbringing and how I was raised. So that was the main questions. And any expectations? Do you have a goal around uh, that you're hoping my to go? My expectation is like anywhere between third and seventh hopefully but if i go udfa i won't be mad either because i know all i need is a chance and most i see like 
most dudes in the NFL that are starters and pro bowlers and all that, they're not even, most of them not even first rounders. Most of them are undrafted. Yeah. And there's a role. I think if we learned anything from this past year, it was kind of a throwback season where teams were running the ball, stopping the run, you know, maybe not like they were in 1995, but there was a value to punching the team in the mouth in the trenches where you, you, you still need somebody who brings what you bring. I feel like, I feel like football is just like a revolt. The game is just like a revolving door, you know, like right now it's all about being flashy and all the passes. And I feel like soon it's going to get back to run stopping and running that ball. Cause you know, everybody's signing these pass rushers and, getting these skinny D tackles to, to pass rush and everything. And I feel like the game's going to go back to power run downhill and everything. And you know what? Maybe sneak a whopper in here or there, or that number eight that you said. Maybe yeah, once you I get drafted, it. reward yourself a little bit, please. Oh, uh, yes, sir. Hopefully. <laughs> hey, dude, thanks so much for uh, going deep here. That was phenomenal. Just an incredible life perspective. Um, yeah, you got big things coming. So where, where can people find you on social media and, and all that good stuff? Well, all my social media is the same as big underscore saucy underscore. So that's that's for Twitter and Instagram. Hey, that could, that could be a good marketing ploy there. Big saucy. I like it. Yes, sir. Well, hey, good luck to you. Thanks so much for doing this, Taylor. That was awesome. Anytime, Mrs. Holler. Anytime. All right. Hey, we'll talk soon. Yes, sir.